welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. themes of Advent, and so hope, love, joy, and peace are sort of the four traditional words, and this morning we're going to spend some time thinking about peace. So if you would please welcome my friends Dane Pedersen and Risha Rugroden. Good morning, everybody. Um, okay, where to start here? When I think of peace, uh, I think it's pretty easy to jump to the opposite, which is violence. I think that that's a pretty immediate jump. Um, and so I think it's, you can quickly start to decry physical violence in that sense. That seems pretty clear, that that is not a good thing. Um, but I think everybody in here already knows that. Um, and so as I thought about it, I uh, thought about words from Thomas Merton and words from Jesus, uh, both of whom talk about sort of the inner wars that we start with people and start with each other. Um, and so my piece focuses on that uh, a little more than uh, avoiding physical violence in the world. Um, so, quick, quick note, uh, the style of art that I do uh, is based on orthodox iconography, if you've ever looked at that. Uh, it's important because that halo shape uh, is supposed to be behind what's important uh, in the image. Um, and essentially what's holy in the image. In Orthodox icons, it's behind saints, and it's behind Jesus and Mary, uh, never behind plants. So this might be heresy, but stick with me. Um, <clears throat> so um, I'm going to start with Wendell Berry real quick here. If you've heard of Wendell Berry, he writes on agriculture. Um, and he talks about the importance of a polyculture in nature, how all these different plants grow together um, and they benefit each other. They make better soil, they make fruiting better, um, and he talks about the negatives of monocultures. When you plant all the same thing in a row, uh, a lot of times the soil dies, it becomes less nu nutrient dense, um, and we run into a lot of the problems we run into in the US because we do really bad things to our soil. That's a side note. Um, I say all that because I have two types of plants here uh, and an anecdote to go with them. Um, Jules, my wife, if you've met her, uh, we went to Ireland this last summer. And um, as we failed climbing a mountain, it was really beautiful still, uh, we couldn't get to the top. And uh, as we came down to the bottom, we were met by an Irish nun. That's real. Um, and we, we got there, we were eating a snack, and this nun just comes up to us and starts telling us about all of the plants around us. She had, like, has a deep knowledge of all these plants. And she points to one and goes, do you know what that plant is? And we didn't know. And it was a nettle. And so in the middle, that kind of sharp one, is a nettle. And maybe that's familiar to you. There's a saying, grasp the nettle, um, to avoid the sting. It's apparently a very harsh burn. Uh, I've never had it happen, but someone came up to me after first service and was like, oh, it hurts. So I had to emphasize that the nettles hurt. Um, and she also talked to us about how um, oftentimes around nettles, this other plant grows called a dock leaf. And that's what these other plants around it are. Uh, that's important because dock leaves can soothe the burn of a nettle. And naturally, these dock leaves sprout up wherever these nettles are growing. Um, and so this imperfect analogy is meant to be uh, the point for you today that 
um, that peace looks like unity, that peace looks like a garden, um, in that when something has a rough edge and maybe is harmful, uh, I think the better response is not to leave and not to exclude, um, but to find ways to soften that burn. Um, because once you love your enemy enough, they stop becoming your enemy. And I think that's, that's kind of the point of peace. So, uh, thanks. I wanted to, through this poem, um, recognize that sometimes a lack of peace um, comes from external circumstances where life just gets hard and details don't match up. Um, but then also that even with a blessed life where things just fall into place, um, we can have an inner turmoil that um, you know, our mental and emotional health can affect um, our being able to reach a state of peace. I try hard to hit all the marks, up on time, make breakfast, coffee, change diapers, send lunch out the door to work. If I can just stick to routine, then maybe peace will settle quietly over the house. But then there's a thin morning, little sleep, missing food, no time for coffee, last diaper, the gas, the account, the fridge, the fire in my bones, all empty, empty, and narrow. Of course, there is no peace today because I didn't hit the marks. I couldn't with what I was given. What am I trying to make peace with? When did these negotiations take place? Was I even there? What did the other side of this war say to make me walk away from the table, refusing their terms? There is no reaching deep within to draw out a sense of accomplishment. With a sigh, I come back to our table, crumb covered and fruit flies hovering, to keep negotiating. Today, I want to invite you to consider the arrival of peace. Thank you, Dane. Thank you, Risha. Uh, it's just great. Uh, I was talking about Dane's piece of art in particular. Uh, I, I was only ever able to do music and never anything visual arts related. Uh, my daughter still ridicules me for how I draw stick men. Um, so, and she's five. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, my name is Tim Johnson. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I was pastor at a church called Hope Community in Minneapolis. I was there for a number of years, and since my tenure there ended earlier this year, I've had the joy of worshiping with all of you here in West St. Paul, uh, which has been awesome. I have known Micah for a number of years. We, we met in 2004 uh, when we were in semina seminary together. And for those of you who can't quite remember 2004, that's back when we all still believed that a cute little tech startup called Facebook just might bring the world closer together. So simpler times, simpler times. <laughs> but it is good to be uh, with you. I've been rooting for this church from my corner of Minneapolis ever since it first got started at the joke joint. And it's been amazing to see firsthand all that God is doing uh, right now and has done in this church. It's great to be with you this morning. On the first Sunday in December, Jenna preached about hope. 
And then over the past two weeks, Micah preached on joy and love. And today I have the privilege of reflecting with you on the final word of the Advent season, peace. Um, As I said, I'm just very grateful to Dane and Risha for their willingness to create beautiful things that help us reflect on the idea of peace. Uh, Another thing that's going to help us reflect on the idea of peace is the scriptures. And so we're going to be reading a passage from Isaiah 9. So if you're able, please stand as I read uh, selections from, from Isaiah 9 here. It says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it, with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, Last year, I went to the Walker Art Center's screening of the Arrow Awards, which highlights the best in British television. Has anybody been? Anybody been to the Arrow Awards before? Um, not, not too many of you. I would highly recommend it, especially if you're one of those I watch the Super Bowl for the commercials kind of people. You will really like it. And they, I think they still have showings up until almost the end of the month. They're just an hour long and it's great. So by all means, go ahead and see the nominees and the winners. Uh, this morning, I'd like to show you one of those advertisements. I forgot to mention this first service, but it's for a company called Sainsbury that sells chocolate. Um, And this one won an award in 2017. Now you should know that everything you're about to see, it's a fictional portrayal, but the events really happened. Uh, And it made an enormous emotional impact on me when I first saw it. Can't think of anything that would do a better job of helping to frame our time reflecting on the idea of peace this morning. So it's a few minutes long. Let's go ahead and watch that. Dear interns, and each year, this was inevitably pointed out to me, when we came to the topic of pacifism or or peaceableness. I mean, sure, they would say, I suppose Jesus was about the work of peace, but that would have been easier for him. He didn't live in the kind of violent times that we do, right? Now, there's a sense in which this is true, of course. The first century world knew nothing of atomic bombs or biological and chemical warfare. However, we cannot afford to mistake this difference in the technology of warfare with the difference in the ideology of violence. On the latter account, Jesus' world and ours are very similar. The world that the baby Jesus was born into and the one that he continued to inhabit was one that saw war as a solution and peace as an afterthought. All we have to do is flip over from the first chapter to the second chapter of Matthew to see a graphic illustration of this as Herod leaned into the power that his position afforded him and pursued violent means to achieve the end that he sought. Kill all the baby boys under the age of two. Can you imagine getting to the point where an order like that is thinkable? Can you imagine being one of the people charged with carrying that out? Can you imagine that knowing your own child, your own newborn, 
was marked out for that kind of devastation. That was a world, Jesus' world, that knew all too well the impracticality of peace. And petty tyrants like Herod were by no means alone in seeing violence as true power. Many of the influential Jewish leaders of Jesus' time bought into the same ideology, though toward very different ends. They were known informally as zealots, those who waited for the right opportunity, whenever it occurred, to provoke and hopefully throw off the hated Roman overlords through brute force and shed blood, believing all the time that they had divine approval for their cause and method. As Bob Dylan once sang, you never ask questions when God's on your side. For them, serving God meant sharpening a sword and being prepared to use it. And while the zealots often proved to be extremists in their approach, they had one thing in common with nearly every other first century Jew. The belief that when God finally sent his Messiah to rescue them, that that person would be a powerful military conqueror. That's what they were waiting for. To the extent that they believed the kingdom of peace that had been prophesied, it was a peace that would occur only after a successful, violent revolution. Their songs of hope for deliverance were soaked in the blood of their enemies. By contrast, Jesus sang a very different song. And the scriptures are littered with stories of people who, like those men in the trenches, heard the song and then joined in. His was a song in which the merciful are the heroes and where the true children of God are those who make peace. It was a song about the subversive power of enemy love and the defiant strength of turning the other cheek. It was a song about a love that refuses to throw stones, that makes much of the nobodies, and that bids the little children to come near. A love that gives people not what they deserve, but what they need. In his song, Jesus gathered up all the weighty strands of the prophetic tradition and wove them into a scandalous new tapestry. In short, just as Yahweh had sung creation into existence at the dawn of time, calling order out of chaos, Jesus was calling the new creation into being through his song of costly love and sacrificial self-giving. And he was constantly inviting others to sing it with him, to embrace the idea that peace is the most powerful power. Or as Stanley Hauerwas, who's one of my favorites, would put it, peace is a deeper reality than violence. The cross boasts a strength that the sword could never wield. Jesus knew that peace was impractical. The impracticality of it surrounded him every day. But he also knew that responding to violence with revolutionary love was the only way to ultimately remove that violence from circulation. It was the only way to get it out of the system. But joining in Jesus' song of peace is hard, not least because other songs tend to have a dark and enticing power that animate them. You know the kind of songs I'm talking about. You've all heard Wham's Last Christmas at least once. Oh, fans of Wham. Okay, all right, well, message received. 
No, but seriously, think back to the video. Once the soldiers got out of their trenches, they immediately began enjoying one another's company, didn't they? Despite their different languages and all the things that should, in principle, separate them, they were laughing, playing, and basking in the song of peace. Until, that is, they heard a different song. A song of distant guns and explosions. Then, you could see it. They listened to that song and dejectedly walked back to the trenches. Those looks on their faces just gets me every time. Now, speaking of songs, one of my favorite songs at Christmas time is the carol, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. It picks up that theme with precision. Edmund Sears wrote the lyrics to it in 1849, and he was reflecting on the dissonance between the angel song to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 and the Mexican-American War in his own time, uh, the casualties of which reached into the tens of thousands. Now, we're actually going to be singing that hymn later in the service, and I wanted to highlight the third verse, which almost never gets sung uh, in churches or on recordings, but we are doing it today? We are doing it today. Thank you, David. I appreciate that. Uh, But the lyrics are very poignant. It says this, Yet with the woes of sin and strife, the world has suffered long. Beneath the angel strain, that's like song, right? The angel song have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. And man, at war with man, hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. This verse describes the first thing we need to do if we want to be people of peace in a violent world to join in with Jesus and the angel's song. We need to hush, we need to turn, we need to listen. Hush, turn, listen. Other songs will be louder. They will get stuck in your brain like Velcro. So we need to focus our mind's attention and our heart's affection on the kingdom of peace that Jesus brings to hear his song, hush. Turn, listen. This idea of turning from one thing and fully embracing something else is what theologians call repentance. It's the turning. And repentance really is little more than replacing a a love with a bigger love, a bigger, stronger, weightier love, setting aside a bad song and embracing, joining in the chorus of a new one. Now again, this is hard. It's really hard. And for those of us in the room who are parents, Risha's poem likely hit that difficulty squarely on the head for you. As she describes so beautifully, the tyranny of the urgent, the chaos of everyday life, they tend to crowd out our impulses toward peace. I can't even count the number of times that my kids have come. I've got a kindergartner and a second grader. The number of times that they've come to me wanting me to adjudicate their dispute over what is apparently the only toy in the house, right? Any other parents had this, right? And even in those moments when I managed to maintain a calm outward demeanor worthy of King Solomon the Wise, inside my mind, I'm just thinking about which one of my children I'm going to split in half. I, I kid, I, I should be careful with that. <laughs> you know, parents, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but almost as if in response to our cries of, yeah, but this is hard. 
Look at the next verse of Edmund Sears' hymn. It says this, And ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. There are those of you in this room today that are bending low, that are bearing burdens that can rightly be described as a crushing load, sickness, broken relationships with family or friends, unemployment, financial struggles, loss, physical or emotional pain, depression or crippling anxiety, toil, pain, slow. And in the midst of those difficulties, this huge Hebrew word, shalom, that we translate peace, that's just, it's, it's so much more massive than that. It feels like an impossible ideal. And in some ways, it, it is impossible if we're trying to do it alone. But friends, please hear me on this. Jesus never arranged the song of peace for a solo voice. From the very beginning, it was a multitude of angels that sung it, and it still requires all of us, the church, to take a, a polyphonic approach in which, uh, in which each of us sings a part, and none of the parts are redundant or discordant with the whole. It is fitting in that light that we would be taking communion together this morning. Because the act of coming to the Lord's table together as a community does at least two things which are very relevant to us. First, we are reminded that we cannot fully practice the me part of the song without participating in this symbolic practice of us. For it is together that we take the bread and remember the Lord's body broken for us. Together, we take the cup of the new covenant of Jesus' blood, a covenant of peace, and drink it as a proclamation of his kingdom. Now, the second thing that is significant about taking communion today is that it gives us an opportunity to meditate on one aspect of the Lord's Supper, which is less often discussed when we take the bread and wine. One of the things that the church does when it gathers around the communion table is to declare the truth of and in some ways, engage in a rehearsal for the future that we believe God has in store for us. When we'll sing our songs around a much larger table, delighting in a much larger feast, where every tongue, tribe, and nation is represented. All that is broken will be healed. Everything that has felt futile will be infused with new purpose. Every wrong will be made right Every tear will be wiped away by the very hand of God. And Jesus' song of peace will be the anthem constantly on our lips. And this, of course, is where it came upon a midnight clear had to finish. Not with weariness, toil, and a crushing load, but with hope, love, joy and peace. Our four words of Advent it says this, For lo, the days are hastening on, by prophet seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, and all the world send back the song which now the angels sing. I 
Love that. Let's take a minute and reflect on those last two lines of the hymn. When peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling. Isn't that just great? I love the imagery that's present there. It presents peace as an almost personal, sentient force. It's got its own ontology like it's a living, breathing thing. And what does peace do? Like your child's favorite people at a parade who toss the candy into the crowd. It just indiscriminately throws peace all over the world. The last line is fantastic too, but it might need some extra explaining as some hymns do. When we hear send back, we probably think something like, Amazon sent me the wrong size ugly Christmas sweater and I need to send it back, right? But that's not what this is actually saying. What it is saying is at the very heart of the gospel, God initiates by sending us his song of peace and we respond by mirroring it back to him. Call and response. It's an antiphonal song of peace. So what do we do with that? (laughs) It's a lot, right? And there's so much that's been left unsaid this morning. I would say that in the meantime, until this day that I was talking about, that one that we rehearse for when we take communion, that day when the vision of the final verse of this hymn actually comes to pass, Jesus has given each one of us the role of ambassador of that coming kingdom. We are the advance guard, the heralds of the deeper reality of peace. We are called to engage in acts of redemptive imagination that display peace's more powerful power, to partner with God in the peaceful renewal of all things. To this end, Stanley Hauerwas's words are a poignant summation. Listen, this is so great. He says, The cross is not a sign of the church's quiet, suffering submission to the powers that be, but rather the church's revolutionary participation in the victory of Christ over those powers. The cross is not a symbol for general human suffering and oppression. Rather, the cross is a sign of what happens when one takes God's account of reality more seriously than Caesar's. The cross stands as God's and our eternal no to the powers of death, as well as God's eternal yes to humanity, God's remarkable determination not to leave us to our own devices. I love how it was. He wrote a book called The Peaceable Kingdom that I, if, if you like this, if that hits a chord with you, highly, highly recommend. All right. In closing, and as a challenge for all of us, I want to say this. More than ever, our world needs the gospel of peace. Peace belongs to the way that Jesus conquered the world. And peace belongs to the way that he continues to rule it. May we look to the author and perfecter of the gospel of peace. May we multiply our strength by struggling for peace alongside one another. People of Awaken, you are uniquely positioned to be the bearers of the song of peace. So sing along. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you have given us that task, that role of being a part of your choir that sings the song of peace. Jesus, forgive us 
for when we've been unwilling to do that, when other songs are so loud that we can't help but listen to them. Jesus, help us to forgive ourselves. You know all too well how hard we can be on ourselves in this regard. I pray that your spirit would come and move and make us into new people, into people whose responses are peaceful responses. You can do that. Jesus, you want to do that. I pray that in the minute or so that we are gonna take right now in a time of silence to reflect, that in that silence, Jesus, your voice would be the one that we would hear about how you would have us participate in the song of peace. What part should we take? Lord, how do we hush? How do we turn? How do we listen? Help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.